Hi everyone, welcome to Meet Your Candidate. My name is Christina Navis and I'm one of the co-administrators for SLPs of Color on Instagram. Today I'm going to be interviewing Soami Santiago de Snyder, who is running for Vice President of Standards and Ethics in Audiology. Uh, Soami, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today and being willing to answer some of my questions. Um, if we could just start by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, thank you, Christina, for the opportunity, and uh, I'm really glad to be in this forum. Um, I am a professor at the University of Puerto Rico. I did my PhD in audiology at Ohio State University, and I also have, you know, uh, graduate uh, work in the area of early intervention. Uh, I believe that uh, what we do guide us somehow in different pathways and ways. And uh, I also work with the School of the Deaf. Uh, I am the audiologist there at St. Gabriel School for the Deaf. And I also teach sign language courses. So uh, my background is pretty much in physiology of the auditory system and auditory processing disorders and that is why uh, I can really see a lot the intervention and the connection between speech language pathology and audiology because in auditory processing it's so paramount and important to have the speech pathologists in the other side take your results operate on them and communicate likewise when you have a deaf kid you know a profound deaf kid who is manual or who is developing speech uh, I can diagnose that, but I can see the importance of the speech-language pathologist rehabilitating uh, the kid and seeing what I'm doing, you know, seeing the physiology, the acoustics, and applying what I found to the rehabilitation. So our work together is so important. We really are part of a continuum. That's why we really have to work together. Thank you. So you had mentioned that you were a professor, and I'm wondering if you can expand on your experience in engaging colleagues and students and how you will carry that to serving you in the national capacity as the ASHA Vice President of Standards and Ethics and Audiology. Well, uh, so far, I, I really have to thank you know, my students. They have been so supportive. Uh, and actually, that's one of the reasons why I decided you know, to run because I want them to have people that represents them, that they can look you know, to what we're doing and say, I can do it. There is a woman there, she is Hispanic, she's a woman of color, she's Puerto Rican, and she's there. So I can also do it. And I want them to have role models. You know, when I uh, was studying audiology, uh, there were a lot of males in the profession at that point and uh, it was really, you know, few people that I can really associate myself or look at that were from my same background. So I believe that that is something that I can bring to the table. I think I can bring to that professional table my experiences as a multicultural person, as a woman, as a minority. And I think that is important, you know. I believe also that we are really having very few information in terms of epidemiology of how our disorders you know are uh, happening occurring right right now in minority groups you know all the information that we have right now 
is really information from Caucasic background. And it's important to have Caucasic background, but it's very paramount to know also how other people from different ethnicities are affected. And I think that that's what I really call, you know, cultural epidemiology. And I think we need more of that. Thank you. That leads into my next question. So ASHA's 2019 demographics data stated that only 8% of members and affiliates were people of color, significantly lower than the census demographics within the United States and Puerto Rico. In your position, how will you support the recruitment and retainment of diverse students and clinicians? I will really fight for that because I believe that part of the reason is precisely that we need people that will have an agenda to go and fight for those spots, for people to be able to know that they have really a place in these professions. You know, when you don't see yourself, you don't see people like you, you might think, I don't belong doing something like that. So I think that's why we have to participate. We have to expose ourselves to the process. It's so important. Even just to expose yourself to run is, is really an example you know, for our students. So I think that's very, very important, just to be there. Thank you. So before we started recording, we talked a little bit about COVID-19 and how it has drastically changed not only our personal lives and day-to-day -day lives, but our professions as well as audiologists and speech language pathologists. How can you and your role, if elected, provide meaningful support to members as we navigate the unknowns of this pandemic? Well, I can tell you that we already in Puerto Rico have, uh, we are launching a telepractice project. We understand that this really is such a paramount time to begin to train all our people in telepractice. I think that uh, it happened all of the sudden, I know that we have been talking about telepractice for a while, but I think it forced the situation to the point that now we just have to do it. So we are beginning to train people. I am the president right now of the Puerto Rican Organization of Speech Language Pathology and Audiology. And we, we are planning right now a series of seminars, you know, to give people the information that will qualify them to create a certification in telepractice that they can use so they can go to the field and do what they're doing with the knowledge, with the required knowledge. We also are working with our board because we believe that you have to prepare the external environment. You can give the information to our people, to our professionals, but you also have to make sure that will be validated by the government and by the insurance companies so they can get reimbursed. So we are working with our board so they can use our guidelines as an example and will make the guidelines available too to people that run insurance companies because those third-party players need to know that we are qualified and how we do telepractice which might be very different from what a physician do doing telepractice and that we need to be reimbursed you know telepractice is just a modality the service is the same and it should be reimbursed the same it shouldn't be reimbursed less so we're working for that. And in terms of COVID, we also designed uh, what is a communication board that we're giving to all the hospitals right now uh, 
to really work with patients that are already in ventilators. So we are beginning to distribute it. It has been really, uh, what I can say, a big success. We have big requests from the hospitals, from trauma centers, so that the patient that is, you know, in intubation, he will be able to communicate. So we even have requests from New York at this point for the guide. It's a bilingual guide in Spanish, English, and sign language, actually trilingual. So that's one of the things we're doing. But I think that it's really, you know, a crisis. The pandemic is a crisis, but I think our profession can really evolve and uh, we can do a lot, you know, for really giving these patients quality of life, uh, even when they are in a ventilator. Even at the last moment, people need communication. And we have to go to those hospitals and we have to give them that. Absolutely. I appreciate the innovation that you and your teams have um, utilized in creating these uh, different communication systems, but also the idea of a certification for teletherapy. I think that's really innovative and commend you all for that work. Okay. You mentioned... You mentioned that you're the president of the Association for Speech-Language Pathologists and Audiologists in Puerto Rico, and I'm wondering if you can describe what your leadership style is and how will you get stuff done if you're elected? Well, I believe that my style is very democratic. I really believe in listening. I am an audiologist, obviously. I believe in listening. I believe that everybody brings something to the table. And it's important to listen to everybody. Of course, that doesn't mean that everything that everybody says is going to be implemented or not right away because it can be implemented later because you have to prioritize. I think that's one of the more important things in leadership. You have to use everything that everybody's given to you and prioritize when something is appropriate to be implemented and when you have to really wait and implement it later. But it doesn't mean that it's not valuable. I really believe that it's important to make people feel that they're valuable. I don't think that anybody in a team, you know, is disposable. I think that we need everybody, mostly in these times. And I think that delegation is a very important thing. To be able to trust, delegate, obviously with responsibility. And you have to know who you're delegating. So what we're doing right now in our organization is when we have a project, we can form a group of experts. And those people meet and they report to the board. And they bring, you know, their opinions. And then, of course, the board votes, you know, about the project. Uh, when we really delegate with responsibility. And we, got, we have to look for outside advice, which in some aspects is very important, too, because sometimes you're so blinded by the knowledge that you have on your field. And sometimes you have to go outside of your own board and the people that, you know, knows about audiology, speech pathology, communication disorders, you go outside and get the expertise that is needed. And in this moment, I think it's very crucial for us to look for business expertise in our fields. We're very good at what we do, but we're not really knowledgeable in business. And I think that is, for me, you know, something that is a neat spot in our profession. We need to begin to see ourselves as people that can have their own enterprises, people that can really 
be the builders, the directors of clinics. Uh, and I believe that at this point, we're not seeing ourselves like that. We see more ourselves maybe as an employee, which is fine, you know, I'm not saying that it's not fine, but I think that we need to bring more entrepreneurship inside of our professions. Because what we're seeing sometimes is that the work conditions are not good work conditions. And people have to accept things that are not really what we want. Uh, we have, for example, in Puerto Rico, uh, problems of underemployment, underpayment for services that are rendered, that are services of quality. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to see that happening. You know, we want to see people that can be reimbursed for the exact amount of service and quality of service that they're giving. And it's something that right now we're dealing with the Department of Education in Puerto Rico. We're trying to work on that because we have a problem, you know, in that respect. Mm -hmm. uh, we really want to see especially our speech-language pathologists being reimbursed for their work, that they will have better working conditions and better caseloads uh, in terms you know, of what they can manage. Sometimes the caseload is very huge and the person is overextended, and we believe that that needs to change. We need to give, we don't want to give bulk services. We want to give quality of services. Absolutely. Can you expand a little bit on the Department of Education in Puerto Rico? Is that also related to uh, governance here in um, mainland United States? Yes, our Department of Education pretty much, you know, receives funds, especially the funds, you know, for uh, the services for special education from the U.S., you know? Of course, they have a certain amount of autonomy, but we do receive uh, for those specific services, uh, money that is, uh, like I can tell you, just designated for that population. And uh, at this point, what we're seeing is, of course, you know, that that money can be managed much better. It can be managed more efficient. And uh, one problem that we're having right now is that we are not, uh, the our community, our professionals are not being properly paid and it's a big problem here you know we don't want to see that happening because we believe that if a person renders a service the person should be paid you know specifically the way that he signed his contract to be mm -hmm. he doesn't you know deserves to really be expecting or waiting let's say six months to be paid uh, that is not an honest you know contract delivery we believe that if you sign a contract you already render services, you should be paid, you know, uh, accordingly. And that's one thing that is really problematic here. You know, we have a lot of complaints of speech language pathologists and speech uh, therapists that they render a service that they have not been paid three, four months down the line. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we really want to be corrected. I think that problem not only resonates in Puerto Rico, but transcends to mainland United States as well. I know many colleagues and uh, former classmates that have also experienced that with reimbursement through insurance providers and even in the school systems in which I work. Thank you for that information. My next question has to do with what your vision for your position would be. 
So as Vice President of Standards and Ethics and Audiology, what is your vision and how will you execute that vision? Well, my vision is that ethics is something that you grow into. And we have people that are very good, again, in the technical aspects and the theoretical aspects of our professions, the procedures that they do clinically. But the truth of the matter is that when you come to think about what you did in, in your school, in your schoolwork, and you come to think, okay, how many ethics course I took? Do they really, you know, help me to be able to discern in a situation, whether this situation was something that can, you know, lead to something that can cause an ethical problem? Sometimes, you know, the answer is no, when you ask that to many colleagues. So I think we have to do uh, what I call preventive ethics. And preventive ethics is where you prepare the person for the situations before the situation happens. You know, because in many instances when you analyze, you know, the ethical violations, they really are lack of knowledge from the part of the clinician. And a lot of good-hearted clinicians right now, they're going through situations because they lack the knowledge. They never meant to do anything wrong. They actually, you know, sometimes did it because they believe it was, you know, for the good of the patient, but they weren't prepared to face that kind of situation. And I think our field is lacking that preventive uh, ethical knowledge. So that's one of the things that I will really want to work at, where people will be trained on that, trained on ethics. The other thing that I believe is that you learn in every, you know, situation, good or bad, that happened to you. So I believe in rehabilitative ethics too, you know. If you commit a mistake, it doesn't mean that, that really you are going to be marked for the rest of your life, you know. I believe that every day you have an opportunity and you have to learn and grow from whatever happened that in that moment you didn't have the tools. Again, because everything comes down to the tools. If you don't have the tools to do something, there's nothing you can do. Right. And you did the best you could. So right. I think that we also have to, to be able to look at those things that happen and be able to, to have corrective prog programs, you know, toward that. And I, I think that it doesn't really help anybody if you don't analyze the situation very closely, know what happened and how we can make it that it doesn't happen again, you know. I think if we do that with the cases that we have on ethics, we'll be doing a great uh, service to our fields. Thank you, absolutely. My last question for you is, why should you be the person in this role leading us through this unpredictable time? Well, actually, I think that it's an opportunity, you know, to serve. And uh, I think that through my career, uh, I think that's something that has given me really a great deal uh, of satisfaction. The fact that I can serve people, that I can help people. And <clears throat> that is, you know, my main goal. I think that what I can bring to the table is my experience. Again, my multicultural background. Uh, the fact that, you know, I went and walked this walk, you know, without many tools. And I can now tell people what where the tools are after in that journey I found them. 
So I think that's something that I bring to the table, my experience. And obviously, you know, I, I think that the other people that are running are highly esteemed colleagues. And I think Asha should be proud of having women like that and having people that are running, you know, that have such a quality as human beings and as professionals. I think it's never going to be, we're never going to lose because we have wonderful people running. But I believe that what I bring really is my what, my experience and my desire of service. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and speaking with me. I really appreciate it. And ASHA voting for the ASHA board 2021 is available now until June 3rd. So I recommend everyone that's watching or listening to please vote. It's very important. I read that only about 4% of ASHA members actually vote. And though many of us are speech language pathologists, I hope that our audiologist colleagues also um, take the time to vote. And everyone, if you can please thank Dr. Sawami Santiago de Snyder for joining us today as she um, shared with us why she wants to be Vice President of Standards and Ethics in Audiology. Thank you so much. Thank you, Christina. It's been a pleasure. And I want to second you, um, you know, your statement. Uh, we need to be involved. We need to vote because it's important. You know, we, our organization, ASHA, you know, is doing a lot of things for us. And I think we can really strengthen by voting. And I've mentioned this on our Instagram page that during this very unpredictable time, there are very few things that we can control, but one thing that we can control is who we vote for to lead our organization. So I empower and encourage everyone to please, please vote. Thank you again. Wise words.